0: If you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel, chapter 15, is where we'll be beginning. You know, the first service might have been a treat uh, to some of you, but it certainly was not a treat to me if you heard some of the things that Philip said. Apparently, I found out that our relationship is only one way, um, (laughs) that uh, this whole time he's not really really reciprocated uh, the friendship. I thought we were like a David and a Jonathan kind of thing, but... I guess it was more like a, a David and Mephibosheth, maybe, where he just, he just indulges me. Uh, but, uh, no, in all seriousness, um, it's an honor to be here before you today to open up God's Word, and it's my prayer that God be glorified in the message this morning. Speaking of David, he was one of the greatest rulers the world has ever seen. King of the Jews during the Golden Age, one of the most well-known Bible characters, the, the origin of the greatest songs that I s- sang in Bible class from the time I was, I'm not going to do a height reference, from the time I was young. Uh, and, you know, he's one of the most highly esteemed men in our minds, right, to, to ever walk the face of the earth. I think that it's ironic that when we talk about David, oftentimes we focus on his failures. He was a, a great, great man. In fact, Acts 13, verse 22, we know the passage, right? It describes David as a man After God's own heart. I want to show you one of those aspects of David. Maybe one of his more underappreciated aspects this morning. In a story that's not a mainstream David story. We're not going to talk about David and Goliath this morning. We're going to talk about David and Shimei. uh, One of his his lesser known adventures. But I think that there's an important lesson. And I think that, that description of him. A man after God's own heart shines true even in this story. Before we jump into the story, I want to give you some context. When we get to Second to Samuel chapter 15, David is a man who is in shambles. Uh, if, if, you could, if you could put yourself in his shoes for just a second, as we, as we start this story in chapter 15, David is dealing with some of the worst pain and disappointment that, that I personally ever ever experienced. You know, there are a lot of things that can affect you in life, but not much can affect you like family can, right? And at this point, This is David's family situation. His son, Amnon, has raped his half-sister, Tamar, who is also David's daughter. And his other son, Absalom, has now killed Amnon. And he's been estranged from his father. And and, and David weeps at the loss of this relationship and, of course, of the turmoil that his family is in. And Absalom has gone off for three years. He hasn't seen or talked to his father. And, and David's at odds spiritually with, that, with the son. You know that, that dissonance that you can have with somebody you love is not being who they should be and, and it affects your, your relationship. And, and it says, in, if you look in chapter 13, verse 39, in reference to Absalom, it says the spirit of the king longed to go out after Absalom. And in chapter 14, Absalom comes back and he lives in Jerusalem. And there's some amends that are made, but he lives in Jerusalem for two years and he never is in David's presence. The relationship is not restored. And finally, they make amends, and immediately upon David hugging and embracing his son and forgiving his son, we come to chapter 15, which is where we'll pick up. It says in verse 1, 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate, And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with the dispute might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts away from the men of Israel. So David has forgiven his son. And he's looking forward to this renewed relationship. And the first thing that Absalom does is he turns around and begins to betray him again. And every time somebody would come to the gate, he would stand there and he would intercept them and say like, Hey, what's, what's your problem? And they would say, Oh, I'm coming to talk to the king about this. And he'd say, Oh, there's no one designated to hear your order. But if I were in charge... You could be sure that you would have an audience. I would care about your concerns. David, not so much. And so the people begin to be swayed against David in favor of Absalom. And so if you take a look in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, A messenger came to David and said, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone out after Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, Lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Can you imagine being on the run from your own son, being scared for your own life because your son wants your position and he's willing to kill you to take it? This is where David's at: the turmoil in his life, the family issues, to say the least, and now he's on the run from his own son. And we come to David in Second Samuel chapter sixteen. And in the midst of all this comes a man named Shimei. And this will be the focus, the story focus for this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5, we see David who is a man who is haggard and he's distraught. He's a father who's lost children. He's been betrayed by his own son. He's been betrayed by the people that he loved. And everything, his home and his closest companions are taken away from him. And on top of all that, we have this man named Shimei. In verse 5 it says, When David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you. So you got this man named Shimei, and David's on the run. And he comes out to meet David, and you can just picture the scene. And as I think about it, I, I begin to just get a little hot behind the ears. Right? This is, it's, it, it's aggravating. He comes out, and he's chasing David down the road. And I can just see him. He's kicking stones, and he's kicking up dust, and he's picking up rocks, and he's throwing them at David. And the whole time, he's just cursing. Cursing, cursing, cursing David, calling him every name in the book. Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you reigned. Now, it's worth noting that Shimei is of the house of Saul. So there's probably a reason why he's a little bit uh, discontent with the idea that David took over the throne rather than it to continue in the lineage of the house of Saul. But he comes out and he says all kinds of foul things to David. And the first thing that he says is the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul. And if you'll remember when Saul died, David was miles and miles and miles away fighting the Amalekites. He had nothing to do with Saul's downfall. Saul brought his own downfall upon himself. Have you ever uh, been accused of something that you didn't do? Maybe you had somebody get a little bit disrespectful. I can tell you this is, this is a, a trivial story compared to what we're going to talk about here with David, but... I was walking home from school one day, and uh, this was, I say school, it was college. I was walking home from the bus stop when I was in graduate school in Fayetteville, and it was about a half a mile from the bus stop to my house, and I'm walking home one day, and I'm passing this guy, and I'm not a big man, I'm not a tall man, but he was, he was shorter than me, and he's walking by, and as I walked by, he asked if I had a cigarette, and I told him that I didn't, and apparently he didn't like the, the way that I said it or the attitude that I said it with and all of a sudden, I, I continue to walk, and I hear somebody yelling behind me. And I turn around, and this guy's charging me. And he gets all up in my face, and he begins to just curse, call me everything. And I'm thinking, first of all, you're confused. You're like, what is going on here? Then I started getting a little mad. I mean, this guy, come, you know, and I'm thinking, I think I could take this guy right now, right? <laughs> like, I'm not, I, I've never been in a fight in my life. But I'm pretty sure that I could have took that guy. And you know your, your 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 mind is telling you be peaceable with all men, but your body's not wanting to really listen, right? And it was it was infuriating. And the more I thought about it, as I, I just I kept walking. Eventually, turned around and just walked. And as I was walking off, he was yelling, "Yeah, that's right, you better run." And it just it just made me more and more aggravated. And I just, got, I mean, the more I thought about it, the more agitated I became. But here you have David, right? David had a song in the streets about him as a man who had slain his ten thousands, right? I've never been in a fight. David is a warrior. You insult me and I get a little hot, but I I don't know that I could do a whole lot about it. David is a man who has slain tens of thousands, and he's supposed to take this from a coward who waits until he's on the run, follows him down the road on the opposite hillside, hurling stones, kicking up dust, and cursing. I want to take. I want you to, to, to appreciate two different things, though. That this would have been especially infuriating to David. I think this plays into into the story ultimately. The two things that I, that I want you to consider. The first is that, that Shimei's actions would have been egregious egregious to the honor that David would have placed with the king's anointed. Do you remember the story? And we won't turn over there and read, but the story where, where Saul is chasing David. David's fleeing for his life. He seemed to be in a lot of situations where he's fleeing from his life. But he's hiding in a cave, and Saul goes into the cave, and David has the opportunity to, to kill him. right? And he sneaks up behind Saul, and he cuts off the piece of the back of his cloak, right? and he returns, and his, his men are all telling him, oh, you sh- the Lord has given him into your hand. You should kill him. You remember his response? He feels terrible that he cut off the edge of the cloak Of God's anointed he said who am I to harm the Lord's anointed the position of the Lord's anointed the king to David would have been so it would have been so uh, important so honorable that he was cut to the heart to have sliced off the back of the robe of the Lord's anointed even though the Lord's anointed was at that time trying to kill him so the position had a tremendous honor to David and given that respect This would have been a seriously deplorable act that Shimei is committing against him, who is now the Lord's anointed. So this is already registering with with David on a different level of honor that this would have been offensive against. But I'll tell you what probably would have hit David even harder than that. If you look at verse 8, you look at the things that Shimei was, was shouting. He says, The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you reigned. For the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. The the blood of the house of Saul is on you. You know who was in the house of Saul? Jonathan. Jonathan, a man who is described to, to have a relationship with David that said they were knit, their hearts were knit together. These two men loved each other. And what Shimei is saying as he curses David is, his blood is on your head. Some of us, some of you here, either have served in the military, or you have family that have served in the military. Maybe you have, you've lost loved ones because of military service. So the disrespect to you is, is, is imminent, right? It, it's obvious This is what Shimei is going down the road, cursing David over and over again. Yeah, your best friend Jonathan, his blood is on your head. You're the reason that he's dead. If you remember when David heard that Jonathan was dead, he took hold of his clothes and he tore them and he mourned and he wept and he fasted. And now you have Shimei, this weak little man, this coward. And he comes chasing you down the road when you're on the run. And nothing's going right in your house. You've been betrayed by everyone. And he insults the position that you hold in high esteem as the Lord's anointed. And he insults you on the lowest, the, the lowest level that he can think. The blood of Saul's house will be upon you. Now imagine you're David. And then you look at verse 9, and you're your right-hand man, Abishai, warrior as well. Abishai is awesome. Mighty man. He turns to you and he says, why should this dead dog curse the Lord, my king? If he... Let me go off over and take off his head. What's your response after all this? I'm probably going to tell Abishai, no, you, I don't want you to do that because I want to do it. Right? This is my fight. And I'm about to take this and take matters into my own hands. And I think when you consider all those things, to me, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. You put yourself in David's shoes to think about this response. The humility and the mercy that he's about to show. Listen, he says, David said to Abishai, What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruiah? Is he cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David? Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may now this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse For the Lord has told him to do so. David, a man after God's own heart. Insult to insult to injury. And he says, I'm not the judge and the jury and the executioner. Puts down his head and he continues walking down the road. You know, it's it's during this time that David pens the Psalm 3 that Brother Don read for us. In Psalm chapter 3, Psalm 3 says... O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you. Your blessings be on your people. I think that it's notable, to say the least, honorable. David's response to this, because I know that if I were in his shoes, this would not be my response, right? David's mercy here that he has towards Shimei, it's on a different level than I think. I mean, speaking personally, there are things that I have been offended over, angry over, taken action against that were much less justified than this. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 19 with me, because this is not the end of the story. In fact, If this were a movie, the best part of the movie has yet to take place. The best part here is in in, in 2 Samuel chapter 19. This is the scene that you've, you've been waiting for this entire time. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, David now comes back to Jerusalem victorious. And he's now the king and Absalom is dead. And in chapter 19 verse 16, we're introduced back to our old friend Shimei. It says in Shimei, David's coming back into Jerusalem. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Behurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. Ah, uh, that's a little different than last time they spoke, right? To do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Girah fell down before the king... As he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how long your servant did wrong on the day my Lord, the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet you, the Lord, my king. And I would love this part if I were David, because I probably wouldn't have thought about much else other than that little weasel that chased me out of the city shouting all those things, right? And now I'm coming back, and I can tell you, I would have already thought, I wonder what's going to happen when I see Shimei again. I hope he comes down. And he's the first one down. He and his family, they come down, and they fall down, they bow down on the ground. Praise the king, let us do your pleasure. Please don't hold to us the things that I did to you when you were leaving. Here we have Abishai again. Good old Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, in verse 21, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because of he is cursed, the Lord's anointed. And my anger would have been brewing. My bitterness would have been brewing. And I probably would have been even more angry than before. And David's response. But David said in verse 22, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah?" Their solution was always to fight. Violence was their first option that you should this day be an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am the king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And I think, wow, David, that's a man after God's own heart. The self-restraint, the mercy shown here. But for those of you who are really familiar with the story, you know there's one more detail, right? Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. David gives an oath to Shimei. He says, you will not die. 1 Kings 2. Look at verse 8. David is about to die. And he brings in his son Solomon, who's going to be the king after him. Right, And David's leaving his last instructions for Solomon to carry out. And look what he says in verse 8. David on his deathbed. To Solomon the king he says, And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Girah, the Benjamite from Behurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Manahem. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down to Sheol. David's whole life, he'd been thinking and he'd been remembering about the terrible things that Shimei did to him. And what you see in the best of us, the best of men, a man after God's own heart, David's mercy ran out. And the one thing that I want to get across to you this morning is that man's mercy is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to God's mercy. David was betrayed by those he loved, his own child and his people. Jesus was betrayed by those he loved, his own children. David was accused of crimes that he had not committed. The Lord has avenged on you, the blood of the house of Saul. Jesus was accused of crimes that he had not committed. David was barraged with curses and with stones, and he had the power within him to stop it. And Jesus was whipped and slapped and spit on and hung on a cross, and he had the power to stop it. David was disrespected as the anointed of God, the king of the Jews. Jesus was disrespected as the son of God, the savior of the world. And David's last wish With his last breath, he says, bring his gray head down to Sheol. And with Jesus' last breath, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Where David's mercy was ending, God's mercy had literally just begun. That's man's mercy versus God's mercy. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I want to give you just three applications, takeaways, and the sermon will be yours. The first is exactly what the summary was there. God's mercy is greater than even the best of men's mercies. If you're anything like me, maybe you are, maybe you're not, Do you find yourself struggling with past failures? Do you find yourself struggling with what seems like the same sin over and over and over again? You know, what I've found, it seems to me, and it's true of my life, is most Christians don't struggle with a whole host of sins. They don't struggle with every single sin in the book. There are sins that I have no temptation. They offer me no temptation. They have no pull over me. That pull other people very, very hard, very strongly. But I think that we all have our demons that we wrestle with, right? maybe it's one or two things that we just find ourselves in over and over and over again. Perhaps it's your language. Perhaps it's impure thoughts. Perhaps it's anger. Gossip. Something that you know is wrong. And you've prayed for forgiveness and you find yourself in it again and again and again. Have you ever been there? And you ask yourself, at some point, you just you think to yourself, this is pointless, right? God has got to be fed up with me at this point, right? Like, like if it were a person, they would have written me off long ago. Is it even... Is it even, like, this is a futile effort. Why should I even pray about this? Why should I even keep wrestling with this? And it can be incredibly discouraging. It can be incredibly hopeless. It can make you feel angry. It can make you feel resentment. Like, there's no point in even trying because all you're going to do is fall again and disappoint God. And what I'm telling you this morning, the reason that, that we, we've wrapped this up in the story of David and then presented it opposed to God's mercy, compared to God's mercy— Is because if that's how you see God and His mercy, you're thinking about it in terms of man's mercy. And that's the whole point. God's mercy is on a different level than man's mercy, it is so much greater than the mercy of men. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when God gives a synopsis to Himself of Moses, Right, Brother Skip actually turned me on to this verse. Uh, he gives a, a synopsis to Moses after Moses has to rewrite the Ten Commandments because the people have just fallen away again and they made a golden calf and, and they come down and God renders judgment. But this is the Lord's description of Himself to Moses. He says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I'm not telling you about a mercy that will forgive unrepentant sins. I'm telling you of a mercy that endures forever. A mercy that longs to be gracious to you, Isaiah says. That longs to rise up and show you compassion. The most vivid imagery is is the Luke 15. It's the father at the end of the road awaiting the return of the son. Give thanks to the God of gods for his mercy endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowliest state for his mercy endures forever. Stephen couldn't have done a better job picking out songs without knowing my sermon topic. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. So the first point is, God's mercy is so much greater than man's mercy. They don't work in the same way. Secondly is this, understanding God's mercy transforms us. I think this is an important thing to understand. If you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24... Flip over to 2 Samuel 24. This is after this whole deal with with David and Shimei. And David, the reason I love David as a Bible character, and I think that a lot of people love David because we can connect with him. right? We we see his weaknesses. We see, man, I'm like that a lot sometimes. We also see his his great strengths, like his mercy that he exhibits in, in David and Shimei, at least in that instance. And Here we find David messing up again. David is a man who knows God. He's experienced God's goodness. He's he's like us in this situation. He knows who God is and he knows what God expects of him. And here he finds himself again. Again, I've done something that I have no business doing. But I want you to notice his attitude here. 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 10. says, David's heart struck him. This is after he took a census. After he had numbered the people, And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and he said to him, Shall three years of famine come upon you in the land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days' pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Punishment is imminent. God's judgment is true. But look at David's attitude. David had an understanding about God that we've got to get. He had an understanding about God that I have got to develop in my life as a follower of Christ. Verse 14, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of a man. When David sinned, the most logical thing for him to do was run to God, to appeal to God, because David understood something about God. He understood that God's mercy is great. Does mercy, do you, do you appreciate God's mercy so much? that it drives you toward God. Does your, your view, your image of God, we all have a way we perceive God. God has lots of different attributes, right? He has holiness and he has justice and he has love and he has mercy and grace and compassion. And we all have wrapped together all these things, a, a view of God, right? Does your view of God, when you've done something wrong and you want to repent, does it make you run eager to run to him because you know what his response will be? You know, this is tough for me. This is, a, this is a working development with me because I was taught to fear God. And that's absolutely necessary. And judgment scenes to me are frightful, even on my best days. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to downplay God's power. When you understand who God is, you shake in His presence. But when you understand His mercy, you long to be in His presence It's why the Hebrew writer can write in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And you can think about Adam and Eve when they sin and they run and they hide from God because they're ashamed of themselves. They didn't understand something about him. They didn't understand that his mercy is not like a man's mercy that's limited and that it runs out. It is so much greater. And I emphasize his mercy this morning because it is an essential component of understanding who God is and walking with Christ is your idea of your transformation into a new man. That God has initiated forgiveness through Jesus Christ, right? And then He stepped back and said, well, the rest is up to you. I'll see you at the finish line or I won't. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, transformed, to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love the active voice in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded currently, For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Understanding the full picture of God, we have to understand his His justice and his holiness. And it must it, it must make us fear and it must spur us to action. But understanding what he has done for us and what he wants to do for us and is willing to do for us is just as critical. It's critical to our humility. As Christians, It's critical to a peace that passes all understanding. It's critical to our treatment of others to understand what's been done for us by God. And that brings me to the final point of the lesson, and that is the extent that God's mercy has been shown to you, it should do nothing but make that mercy abound in you when it comes to your relationships with others, with our fellow man. If you remember in John chapter 13, One of my favorite passages in the Bible. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this you may know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This passage. What was new about the commandment? You know, It's an interesting phrasing, right? A new commandment I give to you. They'd always been commanded to love, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The new part of it was, as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. The new part of the commandment was that you're to now love as I have shown you, true, ultimate love. The world had never experienced love manifest like Jesus Christ until he came to this earth, right? And so the new commandment was, as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. Now, take that point and apply it to mercy. As I have shown you mercy, so you are also to show mercy to one another. We look at David as the stuff of legend, right? He's on a, I've, I've been putting him on a pedestal all day, right? And I've done it intentionally because this is what I want you to realize. David, in our minds, right, he's up here. But I'm going to say something shocking. You have every reason to be so much more merciful than David did. Because you know what you have that David never witnessed and that he never seen? Christ. We have been shown mercy. We have seen it manifest. We've seen it fulfilled in the cross. Turn to John chapter 1. We have seen it. David only heard of it. John chapter 1. We see Jesus. Look at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Father. As of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Verse 16, from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. We have seen Christ. We have seen mercy incarnate. And it should affect the way that we treat one another. If you remember in Matthew chapter 18, if you flip over there, this will be our last last verse. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus tells a story. Tells a story about an unforgiving servant. We don't have to read through it all because I know that you're familiar with it. And I'm quickly running out of time. But it begins when Peter asks him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not tell you seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells a story about a servant who owes a debt to the master that is unpayable. Billions with a B. Billions of dollars. The whole point being, he's not paying this back. And he promises that he will if you give him enough time. And the master knows there's no way that he can do it. But the master forgives his debt. And then this servant turns around and he demands a significant amount of money, but not compared to what he was forgiven, right? It was 100 days wages, I believe, thousands of dollars, but payable. And he has the man beaten and thrown in prison until he can repay his debt after he'd been forgiven that. And the story is ludicrous. And Jesus tells it to be ludicrous because he wants to impress upon you that it is equally, no, it is far more ludicrous for you to have been forgiven of all the sins that you have committed and to have your brethren or your friends or your neighbor or your husband or your wife or your children sin against you and refuse to have mercy upon them. How many times have you prayed for forgiveness to God? I don't want to know that number. I don't want the number. I just know that it's Higher than I would like to be kind about it. How many times have you had to pray to God to forgive you for something that you've done? Sometimes even the same thing, that you've already prayed for Him to forgive you for. How many, when I I think about how many sins God has forgiven me of? And the mercy that He's shown to me and that He continues to show to me day after day, every single day is a mercy. Every day His his mercy and His love try to transform us more into a new creature. That takes time. And He's had a lot of patience with me. And the whole point of the story is we have to reciprocate that to the people around us. Brethren, we have no right We have no right to to be as petty as we can be sometimes. In the story, the man was legitimately owed a significant amount of money that he refused to forgive. It wasn't chump change. Some people in here have been wronged and been wronged legitimately. David was wronged legitimately. And yet what Christ calls us to is a standard that is higher because He has shown us what true mercy is and He expects it to be given to those around us. And so God's mercy is greater than even the best man's mercy. And we've got to let that fact increase the mercy that we show our fellow man. Thank you so much for your kind attention. It's it's been my prayer that, that this lesson be a way for us to all just appreciate the wonderful love and mercy and grace that God has shown us, not to excuse Not to give us reasons, not to strive to change. But to increase our understanding so that when we sin, we long to run to God. To be in His presence, to make things right because we know that's what He wants. And we know that He's willing and we know that He wants nothing more in the world than to have our relationship with Him restored. And so this morning as you think about your lives, I hope... Perhaps it's in the privacy of your home. You you just take and you appreciate God's mercy more. You spend more time going to Him. You spend more time thanking Him. You let it transform the way that you see your walk with Christ. And if you haven't joined with Christ in baptism, if you haven't confessed His name and repented of your sins, had them washed away through baptism and risen to walk anew with Him, His mercy calls you. It's what He wants more than anything in the world. So if the invitation applies to you, bring Christ your broken life as we stand and as we sing.